What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Hustle Project Podcast. This is your host, Nick Marcos, and this is my newest project where I'm sitting down with local business owners and community members who truly embody the hustle mentality. We're going to dive in deep and get their amazing stories of the ups, the downs, and everything in between. So whether you're an entrepreneur, you want to be an entrepreneur, or you're just someone who enjoys hearing the stories behind our community's movers and shakers, this is the podcast for you. So tune in and take pride knowing that we have these great people with incredible stories living right here in our neighborhood. Make sure you tune in weekly for our newest episodes. For more information, check out our website, hustleprojectpodcast.com, or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hustle Project Podcast. Enjoy this week's episode, guys. First of all, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, um, I'm super excited to tell your story because we know each other. And um, we kind of started our entrepreneurial uh, ventures sort of around the same time. Did you get into business around like 06, 05-ish? 05, I think, was when it all started. It was, um, I took over the liquor store in 2005. So, yeah. Yeah. And so when you say take over, um, what do you mean? Well, it was... Um, Let's see, I was in school for a little while. I was in Wentworth doing civil engineering. And, uh, you know, it wasn't for me. Right. And uh, did everything I could, got through two years, and then uh, it came up that the property that the liquor store's on is the property that uh, my family owns. Okay. So we wanted to do some renovations to the building, and the previous tenants were about to sign a longer lease, and it just worked out that uh, we just didn't have them sign a new lease, and I just took over. Right, so you kind of fell into the... Yeah, fell so, in pretty hard. <laughs> so take me back to the to, to the early days. Um, so you grew up in Beverly. Um, your dad, um, tell me a little bit about your dad because he, he does some really cool stuff too. My dad has been uh, he's a he's a very busy guy. That's for sure. We uh, he's uh, heavily into the restaurant business. They've uh, opened up a, quite a few. There was a Brothers Deli in Beverly that they opened up many many years ago. Sold that to open up Salem. Uh, so Brothers Sam- Deli Beverly, Brothers Deli Salem. Yep. Yep. And uh, we opened up the Old Salem Brewery, and or they opened up the Old Salem Brewery, and I think it was 95. And shortly thereafter, they sold that to the Salem Beer Works, or the Boston Beer right. Works took over for their yeah. their new place, which is still there. It's kind of cool to have yeah, it's a, a, cool spot. a connection to, you know, go figure that I'm in the liquor business now, and we ended up having a brewery for a minute, you know. Oh, yeah, full circle. <laughs> if only they waited, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, so then from there, we uh, bought a property in Beverly that had... Um, I was right next to uh, uh, Nick's Roast Beef, which is where right. I saw you many, many a night. <laughs> In my college days, yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, we uh, had we bought that property up in Beverly, and there was a liquor store there. There was a auto, uh, an auto body garage, which we ended up turning into Garden City Pub, which is still very popular, very right. busy so place. So your family are, are, are the people behind um, Garden City Pub, yep, yep. all the Brothers Delis um, yep. locally. Um, what used to be, what now is Salem Bear Works. Yeah. Um, so your dad's heavy into the restaurant business. Oh, yeah. And you were at college at Wentworth doing your engineering grind, which, again, <laughs> I'm not unfamiliar with. But what made your dad and you somehow come to the conclusion that you should just get into the, like, I mean, your dad's a sharp dude. You're a sharp guy. Like, why jump into a business you know nothing about that's highly competitive um, <laughs> right. where things were changing? Like, that was the beginning of when things were kind of shifting towards, like, microbreweries and, like, what, like, what? What went through your mind? Tell me a little bit about how that came to fruition. Like, what's the story behind that? Because people will generally look at you and say, "Oh, you own a liquor store," and by now they're conditioned to know that you just are very good at owning a liquor store. You're just you're a great entrepreneur, right? You have a thriving business. 
but they don't realize the the risk that you took at the beginning. Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> no. So tell me about it. Well, it was uh, it was exactly that. It was a grind. There wasn't there was no blueprint for me to follow. I mean, I remember before I took over. So well, back up a second. The um, the store had existed there for I don't know thirty years or something like that. Right. And I went in and I was working in the store for free for about six months. And we told them that this was the deal. This is what was going to happen. We were going to take over. We we're going to purchase the store, purchase the license. And they were like, "Yeah, sure, no problem." That that's at that time though, was it like a thriving liquor store or just no, sort of? no, okay. not at all. It was, it was kind of run down. Um, just like straight neglected. Uh, I Old wouldn't owners, say neglected. It they was had made just, their money already. Yeah, they were just kind of getting there. They were just going through the motions. I mean, right. at the time, the the selection was very limited. I mean, raspberry vodka was like the biggest thing on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> Nowadays, there's like. I mean, you can get anything you want, any flavor you want, right. any style. and there's Now it's almost things. a challenge to sort of pick which products you're going to sell, where before it was yeah. like, you know, they were dying for new products to be launched. I always make the joke that it's, uh, back then it was chocolate, vanilla, no strawberry, and now it's 31 flavors or whatever the basket yeah, 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 is. So take me back, sorry. Um, so the store was a, it was, it was a grind. I mean, I didn't know, I, I feel like I was pretty good just dealing with people and customers and... I'll never forget my first customer walked in the store, and it was the day I had been up all night long in the store trying to clean the place up. And I mean, I was there actually all day long, all night long, and opened up the door the next day, and the first customer walks in, and I go, hey, how you doing? And the guy looks up, and he goes, what? Well, you got, I've been coming here for like 10 years. No one's ever said a right. word to me. Who, who are you? I said, oh, I'm Pete. I'm the new owner. What's going on? How are you? And he's like, this is weird. What, why are you being so nice? <laughs> like, yeah, well, I, yeah. I don't know, man. I like talking to people. What's going on? How are you? And from that moment forward, I feel like I, my favorite thing in the world is just to talk to people. I right. love people coming to the store. I love hearing their story. What are you eating for dinner tonight? How's your kids doing? I know your kid had soccer practice last night, and there was a big tournament that you guys were at this weekend. And, you know, all these just conversational things, they really build <clears throat> customers that way. Um, I've seen, uh, so even before, before we took over, actually, I was trying to say this too, is that I went around to all these other liquor stores, and I introduced myself, and they were all pretty far away, far away enough where I wasn't right. really going to be Competing stepping on toes. Yeah. yeah. So I walked in, and I introduced myself. I said, I'm buying a store, and it'll be, uh, you know, here's where it is. And every store owner was receptive and exciting. They were telling me all these details of how they do things, not, not secrets, not specifics, but right. like... You know, just be careful. The deals are like this. You yeah. Can, the you shit can sometimes takes two, three years to learn that you can learn if you're oh, sharp. Yeah. You can learn really quick. So I just remember doing that. And then there was one star I went in and the guy just tore me apart. I'm like. And said what? Get get out? No, he, he was like, that's the worst store on the planet. Why are you buying that store? Look Aww. at this. You have no parking. And I'm like, you have, I have no parking. We have a parking lot that's like two acres big. And you yeah. you have three spots in front of your place and they're all covered in dirt. Like, right. I, why don't I have parking? And then he yelled at me for saying I don't have $500 bottles in the store. And I'm like, I don't even have a liquor store yet. And you're telling me I don't have $500 bottles. Yeah, and some people are just bitter. Yeah, and from my understanding, he's uh, he's never changed. But that's uh, that's his problem. So. Isn't it funny how that works? Um, I remember when, when um, I opened up my first dealership, we had this, like, really cool like so we're a new business right we're, we were new in the car business this was happening around the same time and we had to find our place in the market like you can't you don't just open up a dealership and sell ferraris like you may think that that's how it works but that's just not how it works you need credit lines you need you know lenders to, to team up with you and that they yeah. want to they want a rock solid years of rock solid reputation so when you enter the car business it's like not being able to get a distribution with Bud Light. You got to yeah. figure out what else to sell. So for us, it was like, well, what do we get into? And um, we got into the cheapest cars we could get into. 
um, that were still reliable. And so we started this whole thing, and it was reliable cars under 5,000. And that was our slogan. And this is during the, you know, the Great Recession, so oh, yeah. that's the time where it worked. Um, what I find the most interesting is that where you're coming into to Depot Liquors, um, there's also a similar transition. It's not an economic transition. It's more of a transition in a cultural transition in the alcohol industry. So how did you, was it a conscious effort for you to line yourself up early to, to ride this wave? Do you think that just came naturally to you? Or do you think that that's something that you picked, like you, you studied and learned? Like, well, how did you come to that conclusion? Because you, you jumped on that wave early and you're riding it hard. And it's also you breathing. I mean, you're actually involved in the community. You're speaking to customers. You're finding out, you're creating regular. So tell me. Because you could just, you could have just, oh, in contrast, you could have just opened a liquor store and sold Bud Light and, and just said, you know what, yeah. we're just going to be like, you know, North Beverly Liquors, and yeah. that's it. Well, it's uh, it's definitely, I don't want to say it happened by mistake, but I definitely, uh, you know, you kind of see where trends are going. And I think the funniest thing of all time was when customers, uh, I'd tell them, hey, you know, do me a favor, check me out on MySpace. And they're mm -hmm. like, the hell am I going to find you on MySpace for? Right. You're a liquor store. What what am I gonna? What do you think you're gonna show me something special on your MySpace page? And I'm like, no, seriously, this is this is where things are going. This is where things are exciting. I I think that you should follow us there because I'll tell you when we're gonna have a tasting there. I'm, I'll tell you when we're gonna have a, a sale on 30 packs. I mean, Bud, Bud Light at the time was super hot, and if you were the right price, then you were right. You were where people went. Yeah, exactly. So I just remember saying that now now the whole joke is that we were the first liquor store on uh, any kind of social media because we had a MySpace page. I mean, well, one of the biggest reasons I'm having you on the show is because you've managed to carry the liquor. So, like, you know, liquor it's so difficult for a liquor store to, to, to get involved uh, socially because the brands they represent sometimes, you know, don't necessarily line up with, the, with you know, something you really want to sell. Like, it's not... You can't just say, hey, everybody come down and get Bud Light. You, like, you've got to create some sort of content that creates value in the store and the culture of the store, not necessarily the product, right? Yeah. And so what you've done, which is brilliant, which is the, the, the main reason I brought you on, is because you've created a culture within, within a certain demographic uh, based on where they live in, in the North Beverly area that almost looks forward to these duck hunts. The, you know, you know these special <laughs> releases where you're going out and actually putting the work in and like and sourcing good stuff, um, as well as the the well planned sales that are not cheapened by like gimmicks. They're more just more like uh, ways to pay back to the community. So I mean, I'm, I think that's that's dope. I mean, that that's why you're that's the hustle that I'd love to highlight for you. But before we go there, sorry, I I wanted to to, to let let you in on that. But before we um, go too far with that, take me back to. Um, making that decision like how did that come come to fruition how did that i don't know i just kind of wanted to be more popular like i i knew that our store wasn't that wasn't that well known at the time i mean it was a popular spot very uh common place to stop by and just grab kind of what you needed but then what we also did which uh i don't think i mentioned before was that our store was about 2500 square feet and from we ran it for about six months that way, and it was tough. I mean, like it was the grind of grinds. It was as hard as it could possibly be. Because it was too big or too small? Too small. It was too small. Way too small, but it was, there wasn't a lot of variety there, and I mean, I had like, I don't know, six different Pinot Grigios, and at the time it was the hottest thing in the world. Now I have like 40 or 50 or 60 right. or something like that, whatever it yeah. might be. But so what we did was we actually renovated the whole building, which goes back to why the uh, previous owners were, uh, that's why we didn't renew their lease, so we could do what we wanted to the building. Right. So the building, actually, if you drive down uh, Route 1 where Honeyham is, that building, I don't know who made that building, but the that same... That old school 50-style building on yeah. Route 1? Yeah, with the weird 
slanted overhang. Exactly. Yeah. That was our building. It was exactly the same. Whoever designed that building okay, took yeah. the blueprint and built it in Beverly. Yeah. So it's got like a 50s theme. Yeah, very odd angles to it. Yeah. And uh, the roof has all these odd pitches, and then the sidewalk was all covered by this huge awning. So what we did was we just used that whole front space, and we pushed all the way out to that, excuse me, to the awning, and um, added a, a, a thousand square feet to the building, and we pushed out the whole... Um, pushed out one of the walls and added, I mean, the store is now 4,000 square feet, right, which right. Is, yeah. is great. We have the right amount of space. I did you do that after after you saw demand, or did you do that just because it was part of the original plan to begin with? No, that with? was the original plan. Okay, yeah. We wanted to uh, expand. I mean, we had six or seven uh, old old school heavy magnetic cooler doors, you know, the big loud ones right. when you pull the handle and they slam shut. Now we have 19 doors in the cooler, and at the time, we barely could fill them. We didn't know what to put in them. There was just... <laughs> now you're busting the at the seams, the, yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. busting at the seams doesn't even, doesn't even uh, describe it now. Yeah. Tell me, uh, tell me um, what you feel like is the, like the biggest thing that you did... Um, at that er in the early stages, in terms of being aware of the market, like that, that helped you get a competitive advantage. Like, what what do you think it was that really put you in a different, at a different level than the liquor store down the street? Well, we saw the the boom of craft beer happening. We saw the opportunity there, and we we knew there were other breweries out there, and we we tried to carry not as many as we could, but the appropriate ones, right? And our shelving was uh, four feet wide. And I remember we had four shelves, four feet wide, so 16 linear feet of uh, craft beer. And the craft beer at the time was Sam Adams. Uh, that was still considered craft at the time. Yeah. Because I don't even consider it craft beer anymore. No. Right. <laughs> Maybe some of it, but. Yeah. Um, there was that. There was some Long Trail. There was some Sierra Nevada and Chimay, so a couple of Belgian beers. And that was really it. And uh, from that moment, I just remember saying, wow, these are starting to get popular. And I just... I always I like to drive customers to sections of the store that I choose. I like to kind of take them by the hand. And that's stuff like that. That that's the fun in retail. Yes. So you enjoy the, yeah. you enjoy that. Oh yeah. So that's probably why that is reflected in your social media campaigns because oh, yeah. they're very similar. They're very retail oriented, like a retail experience oriented. Although, be it social media, it seems like something you would do at a store. Tell well, me. I try to make it as personal as I can. Like yeah. I said, I want I want my customers to know who I am, and I want I want to know who they are. I mean, I, again, I, I shouldn't say that I want them to know who I am because that. That's not how it is. I want them. I want to know who they are. I want to be excited that they're right. coming in. Right. And so. I think they, I think it's more that you want them to buy into the brand. Exactly. For its for its genuine um, ability to sort of reach out to you and engage you mm. uh, on a different level than most yeah. sterile experiences that you would yeah. get at a typical liquor store. We're not a big box store either. We're, right. we're you're still playing to your strengths. Exactly. Yeah. So now going back to that beer thing, I just remember we. I said uh, to my staff, I go, guys, I have an idea. Let's cut out these like big 1.5 liter bottles. Like we have two aisles of this stuff. What are we doing with this? There's, it's not exciting. Like the packaging looks old. It looks like it's just, it does nothing fun there. Right. But these beers are getting more fun. So we went from doing the that four four foot section to doing uh, three sections wide. So, so as know, a percentage of say your store, the f the 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 square footage, like how much percentage did you used to occupy with beer? Well, it was probably ten percent of the store that we had used for to be craft, craft beer. beer. Yeah, for regular beers, I mean, we had all the the regular stuff, the Coronas, right. the Heinekens, the Miller yeah. Lights, and like, everything. That's, yeah, the, the big ten. That's everywhere. Yeah. But then the craft stuff, I was like, let's just expand one of these sections. Let's get, let's get rid of these uh these big big brand wines, these like junky wines and whatnot. Let's just move forward with this. I just remember getting flack from some of my staff, flack from some of the salesmen. They're like, because they're popular, people buy them. Well, they were afraid that I was not going to order from this, uh, or my, my reps were afraid that I wasn't going to order their wine anymore. Right. 
I wasn't. Right. <laughs> so we started uh, expanding on that craft beer thing, and then. But did you worry at all that you would lose customers because you didn't have that generic one and a half no. liter wine? You, but but you did end up losing customers, right? Maybe you but just felt the sacrifice was worth it. Well, the the brands were, exactly the sacrifice right. was worth it. That's such a hard decision. You're downplaying it. You got to give yourself a lot of credit for that. That's where most places fail is that they can't adjust because their ego gets in the way. Yeah. But you were like, you know what? I don't give a shit if I sell <laughs> 1.5 liter um, things and I make X amount of dollars. Yeah. Like I'm in this for the long game. I'm trying to build a, a brand, a, a local brand that's known for more than just being like. Shit, you can go to Walmart and buy that 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 wine. Well, that's exactly. So the then point. you're just always playing the price game. Yeah. I just need to be cheaper than Walmart, or you know, th- and that's a shitty way to, to, to. No, that's like the gas station thing. You just it's exactly. It's a race the to the bottom. It's a race to the bottom. So you got to give yourself a big pat on the back for being aware enough Thanks. to make that sacrifice. It's not easy, especially at a time where you're probably not profiting big either. You have high overhead. You're just starting out. Oh, you're yeah. learning. You're losing money in some places. Oh, like yeah. there's a lot of inefficiencies. So sorry, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> that's alright. But it just uh, it went from that to. Now we're, I was like, all right, let's just let's try another thing. I mean, it looks like there's a lot of space in these shelves. Why don't we add another shelf in here? So now instead of four shelves, it's five shelves, and it's now gone to, you know, in the end where we've gone from 16 linear feet to 350 or so linear feet of craft beer. Wow. And it's so exciting because I think the average uh, time a customer spends on our store, I've never actually measured this, but this right. is just from observ- uh, uh, observing our customers. The average time that they spend in our stores is minutes. Like, right. You know, two, three minutes, they know what they want, they go and that, they That leave. seems low for me. Well, it's because they're regulars. We'll call it five minutes. Yeah. But even still, now with this whole craft beer thing, the cool thing about it is that none of these people are actually really that loyal to these beers. Mm. So they're like, they're oh, coming for your experience, your selection. Well, exactly. They'll say, oh, do you have such and such? And I'll right. say, you know, unfortunately, I don't have that, but I, uh, I do have this. And they're like, oh, Yeah, see, great. that's what a smart businessman does. I think what you're saying is you realize that the, the advantage to shopping with us, the, the perks of shopping at, at Depot Liquors is I'm already sourcing. I understand that, that the craft beer game is not about selling people's favorite craft beer. It's the people want to experience different beers. Oh, yeah. So I need to have the variety to service that, that, that bulk of customers that's just trying to ride that. Because like, I'm one of those guys. I'm not drinking the same beer all the time like yeah. that, right? Like I want to try. Yeah, to that people do not stick, stick with one beer. Uh, there's a, a bunch of people who do stick with the same beer over right. and over again. But um, that's, that's another cool thing about what you just said is it's in, that's interesting to me is that if you talk to like big businesses, large or even medium-sized businesses, even some small businesses will fall for this trap when you're really small being more like, oh, yeah, I'm going to collect the data. You know, I'm going to like time it. I'm going to do this. And I'm going to. And it's hard to like to to execute that well enough to actually use to have a good enough sample oh, of yeah. data. But what a sharp small business owner does is that they live in the store and they actually have interact. They're actually part of it. So it's much easier to gather more data points per se than just more specific. They're a little more broad, but they're more, there's more data. You're, you know, you feel how long oh, someone's yeah. in your store. And that's a lot m- more valuable than a clock that says three minutes and 37 seconds. Yeah, like right? if somebody just walked in and they, they, they um, like a new staff member walked in and just, they, they're kind of surprised that these, this knowledge kind of pops out. It's just, it just yeah. is what it is. Like you said, I live there. That's what I do. Yeah. So just you to feel, feel it. it. Exactly. Yeah. I have that, that feeling inside that I'm, I just know how long that a customer's in there. But now with this beer thing, the time is like doubled yeah. and tripled. I mean, people are late to dinner because they're, they're just walking up and down the aisles looking at all the beer. Well, <laughs> looking at everything now. Yeah. I mean, it's not just beer. It's uh, The beer has definitely uh, put us at the forefront of... Uh, of, of fun, I guess. I yeah, mean, it is. Cra- it's beer. It's not like I'm, I always make this silly comparison that uh, you know I don't own a mattress store or like a pillow store. Like the customers I have come in all the time. 
like in those places, like a store like that, people come in once. Right. Once. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you, you're not really worried about. Um, customer acquisition per se you have a steady flow of customers oh, yeah. to you it's more maintaining them and feeding their desires like what yeah. what are they looking for um it's interesting and i think that a lot of small businesses can learn a lot from just the principles behind some of the stuff that you're doing mm-hmm. um you ever feel like and this is just this is out of left field but do you ever feel like like a liquor store like you sort of get to a point where you've finished with the challenges of having this liquor store do you ever no. feel like you're just so far ahead of the curve no never do you okay never not even not even close there's a uh, there's stores that uh, i do look up to there's people that i look up to in this business who i i you know they're ahead of the curve even further ahead of the curve than me i mean right you see it one way i see it another way it's just how i feel looking at looking at it from the outside well in terms of like getting like size scalability like what you're doing right now is not something that looks like it's something you want to scale up no, it's no, nice, right? it's it's nice where it is. Yeah, so you like what it is. Um, so given the fact that growth is not on the chart for you, it's probably a little easier to relax because it's like, well, you know what? I, I just need to run this one store really well. It's not like I'm trying to open seven and manage 96 well, employees. I will say that I, in a perfect world, I do have more, more stores. Yes, I think that having more stores would be better. Um, not necessarily more well, better, but maybe on the on the, in terms of dollar, but definitely not in quality of life. Because no, you're right. That's uh, no, you're 100 percent right. Actually, yeah. well, at it that way. only because I'm only saying that because in theory, yes, seven is better than one, but the the resources that you have to commit to running seven stores, and the skill set that you need to do that might not necessarily you might not already have that. Mm-hmm. You don't know until you put yourself like you're an entrepreneur. You'll jump in the fire, sure. Like if someone offered you a second store right now at a good deal, and you know what a good deal is, you'd probably pop on it because oh, yeah. you're like, shit, that's what I do. <laughs> I don't have a problem. I'll take a risk, but. Opening a second store and a third store is obviously a different set of skills. Like, you, you no longer can spend all day at the store. Well, that's true, too. Yeah, and then the hardest part about that whole thing is staff. Staffing, I've yeah. been so lucky where I, I could honestly say that 99% of the people I've ever hired have been perfect. Yeah. Have been people How? interested, people that are... They're, they're I, buying I, into the culture. They're happy about it. And yeah. it's funny. It's like they, they see that the job needs to be done. They're not going to leave till the job gets done. I'm not a bossy boss. I'm not sitting there nip, uh, not nitpicking. Um, yeah, micromanaging. Micromanaging and kind of like yelling. I don't yell at any of my staff. If there's a problem, we talk about it for a second. Right. After that, we move on. It, it's we have too many other things to do. It's right. not I like, like uh, it. it's just more fun. And like I said, I, I'm super lucky with that. I've been very fortunate with as much staff as I've had. I what mean, do there's you been a couple What do you attribute to being the biggest reason that, or a, a particular reason for being so, for having such a good retention with your employees? I think or even just having a good line of communication because it's a struggle sometimes just to too. communicate with your employees. There's that, and then there's, uh, I think that they can see what's actually happening. They can see the customers coming in and being happy. Yeah. And I talk to everybody, so my customer, my, my staff also, they begin engaging with people, and it just becomes, you know, we're all friends and family in the end. Right. You know, they, they appreciate it, and it's I It's almost like a that. diner. It's like an old-school yeah, diner in there. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I feel like, you know, Tim's coming in right now. Hey, right. Tim, what's going on? How are you? And we yell from across the store, How, what's for dinner tonight? What are you doing? What yeah. are you drinking? And now when I'm not there, I know my, my staff's doing the same thing. Yeah. You know, because it's fun. We created this atmosphere. Dude, you, I mean, you're preaching to the choir. I, I, I love it because that's, it's, it sounds, you're making it sound so simple. And I think the same way. But you would, you would be amazed that it's just not a natural thought process to think that. It's just not natural to think that way. Um, but you make it sound so easy. I, f- for me for in particular, like eventually at some point I, I want to get into small business consulting. I would call it more life coaching because I'm not a 
business consultant. Like those guys are like they've never actually owned. It's like you ever hear that rap song? You can't tell me how to make a mill until you made a mill. Yeah. It's like don't tell, oh, yeah. don't come and consult my business. You've never actually run a car dealership yeah. or a liquor store. Um, but more life coach, all around life coaching. And my my point is that in doing that. Um, you really get to impact people's lives on a, on a lot of diff- different levels, and you get to share with them that insight that you just that you just were talking about. Um, anything beyond a liquor store that ever is like on the radar for you? I don't know. I've uh, I'm sure there's something out there. Yeah, I mean, I'm not afraid of anything. Well, for me, like say for example, if I was a small, if I was doing small business coaching, which I eventually will be doing, I would always say like. I would always want to do what I'm good at, and I'm good at brick and mortar. Like, I'm good at small, local brick and mortars. And the number one premise would be get smaller, not bigger. Mm-hmm. Like, because what you're doing is a lock to win. Like, if you're greeting every customer, the owner greets the customer every time. Oh, yeah. Make sure he's having, he has the right product for his customer. Treats his employees well. I mean, that doesn't mean you start making crazy money day one, but it's a guaranteed, if you just manage your money okay, you're going to win, right? Oh, yeah. That's... That's something that most people have to learn through the hard way. The hard way, right? <laughs> um, do you have anything on, like, on the radar for maybe sharing, dropping some knowledge with some people, or long term, or? I don't know. I, again, I, I don't know if I've, I. I'm sure that uh, I'm one of those people who who thoughts just come to me. So as I as I probably pull out of this parking lot tonight, I'm going to be like, oh my god, I got this great idea. <laughs> uh, but on the spot, it's just funny. It's not coming up. Yeah. But, well, uh, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, this business is just fun. It's a uh, it's a solid business. I mean. I think the the old joke was when the recession hit. Oh, people still drink when there's right. a recession. Is like, that true? It's true, but instead of buying Grey Goose for thirty dollars a yeah. bottle, they're buying a big bottle of cheap vodka for a lot less. Right, so right. there's yeah, we do feel the effects. It's not yeah, it's yeah. not it's not a bullet it's not a bulletproof business, but it is. However, it's not a it's it, not a. You thing know what you it is? Eat. You know why people admire liquor stores? Because even if you're lazy in a liquor store and you're in the right place, you're going to be busy by default. Because yeah. it's like when you sell tobacco, like. I'm not saying people are addicted to alcohol, but alcohol is such a big part of our culture yes. that it's hard to not go buy alcohol. And if you don't really care about the quality and you just you know, find it, look, there's always a packy in the neighborhood that's got the cheapest prices. And I think pe- that's why people, it's like a laundromat. Mm-hmm. I remember growing up, everyone was like, dude, you got to get a laundromat. I'm like, well, I don't want a fucking laundromat for what? And they're like, well, <laughs> you just own the property and people just put quarters in the machines and every once in a while you go repair. Yeah, but how vanilla and boring is that? Like, yeah. I don't know what you guys are talking about, but I never wanted to be in, this is probably exactly what you think. I never wanted to be an entrepreneur because I just wanted to collect money. No, well, that's, I, I, I've said this before too, is that there's no such thing as an easy job. Right. Like the easiest job in the world, people can say, oh, you own a liquor store. That must be so much, so easy for right, you right, to just order back. the alcohol. Like, yeah. yeah, you know how hard ordering is? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, I mean, the beyond thousands that. Thousands and thousands of dollars a week are, are spent and like some of it's can be, it's some margin of it can of be error. a big flop. Yeah. Right. yeah. I mean, I've definitely ordered stuff before. I've been, I, you know, six months later, I've been like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. But at the same time, I've done other things where I'm like, oh my God, right, we sold run. that in a minute. Yeah, home that run. was insane. And yeah. then, then all, all of a sudden my distributors completely sold out of it or we've done this uh, single barrel thing, which uh, has been hugely Yeah, tell successful. me a little bit about that. Yeah. That's the most fun I think I've had in a while. And this is, these are, kinds, these are the, an example of the kind of things that you do all the time to sort of keep your store interesting and keep people interacting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's exactly it. So the, the kind of easy way to describe it is that every brand of uh, barrel-aged spirit that you've ever had is a blend, right? So uh, the bottle I brought you today, Buffalo Trace, right? Yeah. Thank you for that, by the way. Of course. Um, 
So Buffalo Trace, uh, every barrel that they make is different than the one next to it, right? So if they have the same distillate come off of the still, and they put it into these brand, brand new barrels that are freshly charred by all the laws of bourbon and whatnot. I'm sure there's a, there's a whole other podcast right, yeah, on the yeah. laws of bourbon. But uh, every barrel is completely different. So what they have to do is once it's done aging or at some point or another, they have to blend them to create what Buffalo Trace tastes like. So in this case, what they do is occasionally they'll find out some of these barrels are just outstanding. They're way too good to put in the blend. They're way too good to waste. Not waste, but in so many words, waste the barrel by right. putting it in the blend. So they'll Mixing put it aside. It, yeah. Exactly. So when they put them aside, they either age it for longer and put it into a different tier of product, which could be uh, you know, another brand and whatnot. I mean, there, there, there are many tiers to all these brands, right? So or they'll call us and we'll actually go to Kentucky or I'll go to Kentucky. I've been three times in the past year and I swear Kentucky is my new favorite place on the planet. Um, so you're actually going down to, oh, the, yeah. to the distilleries? Going down to the distilleries, meeting all the hands that touch every single barrel, every single bottle, everybody that handles everything in these places. And they pull out these barrels. And uh, what'll happen is they pull out uh, the, the whiskey thief, which is like this big straw. You put it inside of the barrel and you take out just a little sample and put it in a little glass and now you're tasting barrel-proof whiskey uh, one by one, trying to figure out which one you think is the best for you. So after you taste all these whiskeys, all of a sudden, you've, they're so different. They really are. That's the coolest part. They are so complex and so different in age and so different in color and such. So you choose the one you like, you sign the barrel, and then next thing you know, they bottle it for you. It now, gets delivered right to you? Yeah. So it takes, sometimes it can take up to six months. Sometimes it can take Well, when you buy longer. a barrel, though, are they actually uh, putting it into bottles for you? Yeah, they do oh, okay. the whole process. They bottle it for me. They, it looks exactly the same as regular buffalo. So trace. it's literally a distinctive blend that only you Not have? Not a blend. I'm sorry, blend. Uh, um, but that's the catch is that it's, that's what's cool about it. Yeah. So you can't get it anywhere else on the planet. The liquid in that bottle is one of up to 200 bottles, maybe more, maybe less. I've done other ones where we got 84 bottles out of a barrel and we sold out of them in a few days. Right. You know, that's that's exciting. I mean, people just try it once and they're It's extremely they're exciting. It's extremely you know? exciting. And that's that's what's sort of interesting about um, where you can take a liquor store, mm -hmm. right? Because you can just sell mm -hmm. Bud Light or you can take it there if you want to make, make it sort of experience-driven, make the best out of it. That's why I'm saying quality of life-wise, like if you enjoy all the aspects, like if you enjoy your customers and sourcing and stuff, if you scaled up, you'd have to pick one because you probably couldn't do all of it, yeah, right? And that's true. And that's not necessarily fun for some people. Like for me, the idea of having 12 dealerships, it would have to, it, I, my position would have to be so unique. Like I would have to create this such a unique position for me to actually enjoy running 12 dealerships. It would be the same for you. Yeah. It's like you'd have to spend one day like, with meeting, meeting and greeting customers one day, making sure that the ordering was done right. It's true. I mean, I, I had that thought the other day where if I had three stores, let's just say they were, uh, let's say I had three total stores. So if I was to have to be at one from nine in the morning till noon, and then one from noon till four, and mm -hmm. then the other one from like four till 10, then I don't have any time to see my wife or my, my, my kids. My and, kids, yeah. And even just hang out at the house, put my feet up for a second. and. As it is right now, I'm I'm in the store. I'm, I'm not in there every single day, but I'm in there, you know, six and a half days a week, and right. that's it's quite like a bit. a true entrepreneur, like like a true entrepreneur working as much as it takes to to yeah. continue to thrive. But even still, even when I'm home, I'm, I'm I've always got a list going in my phone of like, oh man, this is a great idea. I should move this here, or I should do this, or you know, I had an idea of moving this display closer to this particular thing because 
you know, you see one thing and you think another yeah. thing, and then it's it's all just like a yeah. fun game. And like I, I, I fail a lot, I definitely fail a lot. Well, tell me about it. Tell me something um, more recently that's happened that you, that's you know you consider a failure, and and tell me did you know what the end the net result of that was. Well, we've uh, we've definitely bought some barrels in the past that may have been, uh, let's say, uh, this the the liquid inside is fantastic, tastes great, but it's just expensive, and it's not a well-known brand. Uh, that's not to knock the product. I think it's one of my favorite whiskeys I've ever had, and I'll oh, keep it. But the you're saying the customer doesn't find value in the price at the price point. No, I mean, a hundred bucks a bottle is not cheap, right. and I had to buy a barrel's worth. So, you know, I'm not calling that a flop or a mistake, but there's definitely um, a customer out there. I just have to get them trying it. So. Right. That's another thing we try to do is try to keep open bottles of a few things beyond the counter just to just to let people try stuff. Right. We used to do it a long time ago with wines and stuff, but wine goes bad. Wine, you have to really keep on top of it, but liquor, man, jeez. Right. Does that make you a little more cautious when you're ordering another ba- bottle, or does it say, you know it what? Could be, yeah. Do you live in a world a lot more where it's like, you know what? Well, shit, I'm too, you know, I'm, I'm eight for ten. <laughs> you know, well, like I, my expectations were not to hit home run every time. Because it, it also you're also trying to be a little predictive of like you know what customer you know uh, how the customer is going to value the product. We do really well with like the kind of the everyday wines. Let's just say like the wines that range from uh, we'll say nine dollars to like twelve dollars, right? That's like the the hot spot, right? So I'm not going to focus on bringing bringing in fifty dollars bottles of wine. Right. I'll have a bunch of, in the store, but I'm not going to change a whole section over to add that. So that's where learning from your mistakes in that regard makes it so okay focus where you're where you're good play what did you say before play to your strengths or something that's a you know that's a strength that we try to play to now right you know by by learning from that well i think when you when you're already when there's a huge risk already involved which is just the nature of having a small business you're always better off finding out what your strengths are and playing to them there is a time to 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 like work on your weaknesses and and get you know find betterment there but when you're like when you're drowning is not the time to try a new swimming technique yeah. right like when you're drowning you got to do what you, what you know works yeah, go back that, to basics right <laughs> go back to basics just stay afloat as long as you can and hope that the tide goes down yep. and, and you can find you know just an inch to put your toe on you know what i mean like that's the world of being an entrepreneur um so you know given the fact that you, you i'm sure you've had a lot of downs give me something a milestone somewhere along in, in the past 10 um actually 13 14, 15 years. Man, jeez, I'm trying to discount all the years. Um, in the past 15 years, like, what is some a big milestone um, when it comes to work that you will always remember? Well, we always do tastings. The tastings we do in the store are always a lot of fun. Um, we used to do uh, a beer taste. We do every beer, a beer tasting every Father's Day weekend, right? Yeah. So in the past, it was just uh, we set up 18, 19, 20 tables in the store, little high-top tables, you know, like uh, – right excuse me, like a restaurant table. Um, the problem is my regular customers can't come in. It's like jammed. Like, oh, it's uh, it's that busy. Oh, yeah. So you got to have the back door open. Well, so <laughs> It's just us serving from the back door. So we'd see our regular customers walk in, and I'd say, hey, hey, Rick, hang on a second. Let me go get it for you. And we do the best we can to try to take care of them that way. But then we also turn away customers who are just trying to stop by to grab a bottle of wine. We right. don't turn anybody away. This is not me it's doing anything. It's just a date, yeah. They just see this commotion. They're like, oh, I'm out of here. I don't, I don't have time to deal with this, right? even if we try to help them. So in the past, we used to do that all inside. Then we decided to start doing some of them outside, where we'd have half of it inside, half of it outside. That worked out great, but now we have this huge tent outside, and it's kind of blocking the front of the store, and it's not, it's not, the wor- it's not doing the right thing yet. So the past three uh, Father's Day weekends, we've done this beer tasting on the side of the building where we rope off the whole side of the building. We set up tents so it doesn't block the front of the door. 
there's no tables inside. We went from having 20 breweries to now we have 55 breweries at our last one. I mean, oh, this wow. is a legitimate beer fest. This is not like yeah, a, yeah. Uh, this is something that people would pay, pay money for in Boston to go to do. Right. right. So we have the big tent set up and we are a bunch of tents. I sit out there making burgers and dogs for everybody. I mean, we spend a ton of money at Costco to buy burgers right, and dogs. Right, right, right. It's but so rewarding. I was going to say, yes. But now what we've done is we've created um, the parking lot's jammed with cars because we have a diner next door too. That's right. obviously a very be busy diner. Shout out to, um, go ahead, give it, let's give a shout out. That's uh, Depot Diner. That's my cousin, Sandy and Pete. Yeah, um, good dudes. What's up? They do really well and they, the parking lot's always jammed no matter what. Right. So, but the cool thing is that the front door of the store is wide open. So customers can walk in and out. Customers that are at the beer tasting can also walk from the beer tasting into the store, see what they want to buy. They can actually buy something. It's not as crowded in there. Right. And there's a huge party outside. And now it's become this thing where I think the, we went from having, we counted heads the first the first year we did this three years ago where we really went big on the side of the building and there was like, I don't know, 300 people, which is, wow. is cool. That's still good, yeah. Uh, last year we had 500 people show up. Wow. I mean, it's bananas. <laughs> like right. It's to the point where I'm, it's always free too. It's at the point now where I'm like, maybe I should start charging. Maybe I could limit the amount of people that show up just to no. make it a little more controllable. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. But obviously I, I wouldn't do that, but I, I just think it's a funny thought to... To get where, where, where you're getting to that point. So yeah. would you say that um, in terms of, you know, uh, entrepreneurship at Depot Liquors, that's probably the thing you're the most proud of? Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I, I really enjoy it. I think our customers really appreciate seeing me slave behind the grill, too. Yeah, I and I love that. Fun. I love, and it speaks volumes to why you're successful. I love that that's, that's what you said because you didn't say, like, oh, one time we broke this record and we had this, like, the, the highest grossing month on, on, no, we've done on that too. But I'm sure you have. But I don't that's get excited about right, that the same way. That's what I mean. It's I want my customers to know that I'm I'm in, yeah. I'm in it with them. I want to have a good time. Yeah, and it and it also yeah, it could be a lot of different things. I'm happy to see what you chose because it also speaks volumes to what kind of person you are on a personal level, right? Because because you. You, you what you're saying is I love the time that one time a year where I get to give back and create an experience above and beyond what I normally do for oh, the yeah. people that go above and beyond to do business with, with um, Depot Liquors. And we try to do as much as we can as far as events go. I mean, we have a, a tasting every Friday and Saturday night from 4 to 7 that's just general uh, one or two wines or right. a, a spirit or a beer or something like that. Yeah. And that's done by the reps. They come in and they set up their table and everything. That's that's fun. But these big ones, these big ones are no joke. Yeah, so I can imagine. It's a big project, but it, it it's is. the ultimate way to give back. It's the yeah. for, for your brand. The best part is, is customers just talk about it for months and months and in months. In anticipation after. of? Yeah, they call yeah. us in the middle of like the winter. They're like, when's that big beer tasting again? Yeah. Like it was Father's Day weekend, man. I'll see you there. Yeah, I have to say, um, you know, I grew up on the North Shore. I, I'm from Lynn, um, and I've lived in, I live in Danvers now. But growing up, having a family that had a business in North Beverly, I was always marveled by the the loyal, customer loyalty of the people in that area. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. North Beverly, Hamilton, Wenham, uh, Gloucester, you know, Rockport, Essex, Manchester. Those people are some of the most loyal customer base I've ever seen. Oh, I yeah. mean, they religiously, they, they buy into their local brands and they're, they're in. Yeah. As long as you treat them right, they're in. It's different than, say, in other towns where there's different drivers, I guess. But it's an interesting demographic of people up there and it, it doesn't shock me too that they've been extremely responsive to you from the get-go because mm-hmm. you're you're ultimately interested the most in serving them, not necessarily filling your pockets. I want to switch it up. I just want to um, I want to ask you really quickly if you if you knew a young young dude out there who's getting into the liquor store business, and and he was contemplating 
you know, going with just a, like, oh, I just want to sell Bud Light. I'm going to keep going back to that. That's my thing now. Mm-hmm. I just want to sell Bud Light. Yeah. Or go with something more along the lines of what you're going with. What would you recommend their best thing to focus on for each one would be? Well, with Bud Light, then you'd have to sell a lot more Bud Light and a lot. Well, let's not call it, call it even Bud Light. Let's just say it's just the regular stuff. Yeah, yeah, right? just a regular packy. So if you got the regular stuff, you got to sell a lot more of it because every other store in the whole area is selling the same exact thing. And that's one of the things that we try to do is, I know every store on the planet sells everything I sell. I know that. I know that the differences in what we, the extra stuff we do, whether it's the barrels, whether it's the tastings, whether it's. Um, just enjoying ourselves at the store. I mean, we. I think one of my favorite things is, is when customers come in, they're like, you know, I love the music in this place. Mm. And we're always playing something different. I mean, I listen to reggae basically all day long and all night long. I don't know reggae how it Reggae never happens. puts anybody in a bad mood. No, but it's something that I'm sure my staff is all sick of it by now. But for right. me, it's like, it's it's in my blood to the point where my daughter knows who Peter Tosh and, and Bob Marley no, are. Kidding. Very easily she can distinguish who's who. It's hilarious. Wow. But anyways, the... Um, the whole um, trying to get customers to, um, or trying to see what what advice you'd give to somebody that's just starting out, then I, I mean, you could get away with selling the easy stuff, but man, do that, have some fun. It's the same thing we were saying before about the laundromat. Like you could just go home and right. watch the cameras once in a while. The quarters are going to keep coming in, but right, it, it's almost yeah, it's almost it's like boring. split down the middle, which yeah. is better. Um, you know, just just executing at the at the most minimal level and just kind of collecting money or being a part of or getting the opportunity to be creative and create sort of your own path. Um, but there's there's strengths and weaknesses to each one and depending on what kind of an entrepreneur you are. But what would you what would you think is so you're saying for just a generic packy store you gotta figure out a way to ultimately be as efficient as possible. Yeah, you gotta and, do as uh, as many as things volume. for as little money as you can. Right, right, right. Where you know if you go your your route, you, you're creating value more in the experience yeah. as opposed to just the product. I mean, I can easily say that we're not the cheapest store on the planet. Right. And I, I'd like to say that we're competitive, as competitive as can be with all the local stores and all the, um, the the local package stores. But when it comes to the big box stores, I'm not going near those prices. Right. You know, the customers that are going there are already going there. I'm not going to stop. Right. They're going just going there. to get their, their, their wine. Like, yeah, but they already have that in their head. They're yeah, not exactly. going to change their mind. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. And it's almost not worth trying to go after that, that kind you know, of... A it's tough. I mean, I hate saying it's not worth it, but you're, it's not, it's almost true that that customer is already lost to those stores. It's, yeah. I'm never going to get That's something back. that's really um, hit the car business really hard, mm-hmm. is that it's almost impossible nowadays to create value outside of price. Mm-hmm. Because it's always been about price with customers when it comes to cars. They don't really understand. It's not their job to understand, but they don't really understand how these values are working and how depreciation works with cars. Oh, yeah. They don't buy cars for those reasons. They buy cars for transportation. When you sell them, you look at it as differently. The same as you when you're sourcing alcohol. Like mm-hmm. you're looking at multiple a multitude of things. It doesn't matter if someone loves it. it can I can I make it cheap enough for them to yeah. to experience it? The car business sucks in that in that game. It's so difficult. Even CarMax tries to create value different ways so that they can justify why their car is more expensive than my car. Do you think that that trend sticks around long term, or do you think at some point the bottom will fall out? Because you know the economy is strong right now. I think right the way that it's going right now, there's a couple of laws that they're trying to change. Where uh, I don't know the exact uh, specifics on it, but um, they're trying to change the law with I think Cumberland Farms is trying to make it so any little convenience store can sell beer and wine. Um, if that goes through, then that's kind of a huge hit to us. But at the same time, we, we've become a destination. Yeah, I don't think it's a big hit to you. I think it's a big hit to it's the... It's a big hit to the business. To the business, so, but I think you're probably set up 
to absorb that the best. We yes, we right. because of our Cumberland reach, Farms is only going to dedicate two or three. F- for, they're not going to have a, a four thousand square foot. You never know. I mean, they're not going to have a four thousand square foot <coughs> square foot store. But if they're selling Bud Light for cheaper, I mean, I, I'll tell you what, I sell so much Bud Light, you would blow your mind. Yeah. But when it comes to that, I want that sale. Right. I need that sale. That's how I like. I got to pay my bills, you know. Right. Um, but if that goes through, then that could be a huge hit to the industry. Where going back to what you were asking before about uh, a new guy jumping into the business, I, I'd say you have to take my route. I'd say you have to be uh, active on social media. The social media thing is so important. It's yeah. it's actually kind of funny how well it works. But um, what do you find to be better for you, um, Facebook or Instagram? Uh, so when I first got Facebook for the store, that was a long time ago. I'd say it was like 2006 or something. Maybe super early for any business. Never mind. But it was store. funny because we we hit. We'd hit a good amount of people. I mean, I, I don't know, I don't remember the exact numbers, but I remember seeing like the reach was at in the thousands, and mm-hmm. I was like, this is amazing. And then somewhere along the line, they changed their uh, I don't know what the word is algorithm or whatever the rules are. How I'm, yeah, I'm the not algorithm, very computer yeah. literate here, but they changed something, and now I'd be lucky to get like fifty to like a hundred. Yeah. Uh, people reached on these There's posts. a lot of different reasons, I'm sure. One of them, just in general, is that just so many other places looking for your attention now. That's true, too. Yeah. But the that that's just Facebook. Instagram, Instagram is great. I mean, I know it's owned by the same people, and I'm sure that there's the algorithms are probably pretty similar. But for some reason, Instagram just works. It's I always a little more customers. intimate. It is, and the and thing is, you don't need to read. I think that's the yeah. catch. When and I go on Facebook, I have to read all, yeah. all, 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 all There's these. a lot of noise. There's a lot of noise on There's Facebook. too much noise. And yeah. when it gets to, like, people talking politics, I got to scroll through, like, you know, uh, I don't know, 15 people's worth of n- right. noise to get to something I'm interested in. And then all of a sudden, you know, a mountain bike thing might come up. And I'm like, oh, cool. This is great. But yeah. I had to just wait, waste five minutes looking for it. Yeah. Whereas Instagram is just a picture. And if you see the picture, great. If you don't like the picture, keep going. You're not going to miss anything by yeah. So the noise is a little bit less there. So our pictures, we try to stay like to the point, uh, try to show exactly what we have, exactly what people might want, and that's it. I mean, next thing you know, we, we have people calling the store. When it comes to limited stuff, that's when it's hilarious. We'll post a, a picture of you know, some, some rare whiskey, not any of our particular barrels, just some general rare whiskey, right? And we'll say, uh, you know, first come, first serve, no holds. You can't call in to hold it because everybody else wants it to. And people will run into the store. Right. It's so to funny. Get it. One of the funniest things I remember seeing was this. Uh, we got this beer called Sip of Sunshine, and it was uh, it was the, one of the first times it was ever released in Massachusetts. And now we get it. And it's on the st- on the shelf every week. It's not as popular as it used to be, but at the time it was big. And there's uh, I released that. I put it on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that. And uh, this guy comes running in, literally out of breath. I go, "What's going on, man? How are you?" He goes, "You're not gonna believe this." I'm going out to dinner. I'm out to dinner right now with my wife. We're at Mikado, the Chinese restaurant down the street. Uh, not Mikado, um, Gourmet Garden. Either way, he, sure. he ran. It was close enough to run. He ran because he told her he had to go to the bathroom just so he could run and grab a four-pack of beer and shove it in the car and hide it so she wouldn't see it. <laughs> so all because he caught it on Instagram right. at that moment. And he happened to be there. next door. Yeah, so it's so funny, but that Instagram really does make that make that. Uh, yeah, and if you're a small work. business listening and – you and your local, you know, small business like yourself that's literally serving a community. Like people are not going to drive a hundred miles to come to a liquor store. They're just not. They have. But that's because of something <laughs> super exclusive you have. Oh yeah. Of but course. you're not going to make money doing that. Like a, no, I'm not targeting that. Person. Well, you're not targeting that person. They will for a car. 
um, right. it's different, right? Because you're, you're talking thousands of dollars in savings. But, um, you know, having a business like yourself that serves the community, there's nothing better than literally building a real grassroots following on Instagram. Mm-hmm. There's nothing better right now. Yeah. I thought about the other night um, uh, this idea that, you know, if you have a, like, a little restaurant, right, and you're not doing too well, like, why aren't you out just knocking on doors or soliciting, like, every customer you can get to, to get their Instagram just so you can get in front of their yeah. face? Like, if it costs, like, they should be doing, so this is something that I thought was brilliant that you do. And this is something any place can do. Like, you have this, these little ducks. <laughs> Tell me about these, these little ducky, this duck thing so, you do. Because it's really, it's, you know, we're adults, right? <laughs> so you look at it, like, and it's like, oh, that's kind of childish. But then you're like, no, it's kind of fun, actually. Go ahead. I don't want. I don't want to take you for anything. Sorry. So basically, what happened was, I found a, a store. I don't remember where it was. I don't even remember if it was in Massachusetts. Actually, I found multiple stores. I did this when we started getting hot on Instagram. Not that we're superstars on there at all. It doesn't matter. Well, that's the thing. People get twisted. Oh, he doesn't have ten thousand followers. But wait a second. If I'm a liquor store and I have a thousand followers, that's a thousand people that I can get in front of. Yeah. Like. In terms of numbers, if you had a thousand transactional a, a customers transacting, say every week, that's that's, pheno- good. that's <laughs> phenomenal, right? So like, and that's what deters most people from putting the time. And they're like, well, you know, I got to get ten thousand. No, you don't need ten thousand. If you're a yeah, restaurant I'd in Beverly, 10, yeah, if you're, it, it might not even be possible, right? It would uh, take gener- it would take years to do that only because people are becoming yeah. older and older. It's hard, but it's possible. It, it's possible, but it's not. I'd, I'd have to do a lot of uh, paid ads too, and we yeah. we try to avoid that. We do we do have paid ads every. Why do you try to avoid it? Uh, it's just another expense. Yeah, but it's got a return. It does. I'm not that good at it yet. Again, no. I'm not Mr. Kim. Well, this is more part of the story. But everything so. else you've ever done, you've gotten good at by doing it. Exactly. So but do this, it. <laughs> this one, though. So the duck thing, the way that this came about was because some stores were stealing my pictures. They were literally screenshotting my pictures and posting them on their own Instagram page. Oh, and my God. I knew that they were my pictures because at the time, I think I'd just gotten portrait mode on my phone and I, I could see the store in the back. Pictures of products. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, again, every store can sell my product. I'm not selling any, not all my products, but most of my products. I mean, you could buy Tito's anywhere. Right, you know? of course. So I just remember saying, you know but what? But only the best Tito's is at Depot Liquors. The, the best The Tito's. best. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I said to myself, you know what? I got to try to do something different. I, maybe I could watermark these pictures. And then I was like, what am I going to watermark things for? How, how am I going to do that? I got to take a picture. And, and then I got to open up the next app. Yeah, Photoshop gotta, or something. It's just, it seemed like a lot of work. So I was like, I'm just going to put my business card in the pictures. So I put my business card in the pictures. I'm like, all right, this works. And then I said, this just looks a little cheesy. Like, it's not, mm-hmm. the business it's card It's not up cool, to par with what I want to. It's not cool. So I was at the hardware store one day and I saw Rubber Duck and I was like, oh, brilliant. This is, this is a really, this is a reach, but let's try it. So I got the rubber duck and I wrote at Depot Liquors right across its chest and I put it in all the pictures. Right. And from that moment forward, it turned into us having a duck in every single one of our pictures. And I know it seems really silly and I don't know. I know a lot of people probably are going to listen to this and be like, what is wrong with this kid? Why did he put a duck in all these pictures? But now it's become signature. Yeah. So now, and uh, I take the, <laughs> it's going to sound even sillier, but I take the duck with me when I go to Kentucky and I put it with the barrels that we of choose. Of course. Right. That brilliant move. I love it. And then another thing we do is this, um, this uh, duck hunt where we take the duck and we hide it somewhere in Beverly. And this is where I got sort of sucked in. I was like, wait a second. Because I've seen the duck a thousand times. Yeah. It's part of your brand. And it's funny because some some places will do that intentionally. 
yeah. right? Like it's part of the master plan. Like I want to have strong branding. You know, I'm going to use it. Like that's a G move if you could pull it off just fresh. But to you, it was more of like a need. I needed. I needed I, something. Were, I needed something, right? And, and it I could have got like a little toy character of something and just yeah. put it in there. Anything would have worked great. But the duck. The is duck. Part. Yeah, the duck is. And everybody knows what the duck is. Right. So yeah. and so what I did was I started to come up with these plans where. I, I get stuff from my distributors all the time, whether, I mean, years and years ago it was much different. They'd walk in with laptops and uh, mini fridges and all that stuff. But now it's like, I gotta buy, I don't know, 20 or 30 cases of XYZ product, and next thing you know, they walk in, they have this uh, uh, pizza gr- pizza oven, right? Like all these cool things that like, I don't have room for all this stuff right. in my house. Yeah. And some of it's cool, I might keep a couple <laughs> things here and there, but some of it's just like, you're talking about those? sort of like kickbacks almost. Yeah. Like you bought 500 cases of Bud Light and they'll give you like a free a little canoe, mini pizza. A, a canoe. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a promotional way to get you. To people who are not self-employed or who don't work with the big guys like Coca-Cola, Pepsi, mm-hmm. but, you know, Budweiser, I'm sure it does a lot of that stuff. Well, the kickbacks are not what you think. So the kickbacks used to be pretty good and then they changed all the laws and things got kind of uh, buttoned down and now it's like everybody that buys – this many cases of this particular wine gets, it. gets this yeah. product. So it's, an, uh, yeah, they're like structured kickbacks. Exactly. Yeah. So it's not, I don't want it to sound like I'm some mafia guy. No, 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 like no. no. Kickback, kickback is like a, pr- like a promotion. Like yeah. unit bonuses is what we call them in the car business. I mean, if you, it, it, Toyota does it. If you sell 500, if they set the bar 500 and you sell 501, you hit the unit bonus. That now means your store gets uh, a, a special uh, add-on to how many, if you've made an extra $100 now on every car. You yeah. know, like it's, it's pretty normal, but I know what you mean. There are some stuff like the pharmaceutical companies got in big yeah, trouble for that. That's like what I mean. Incentivizing I, I, certain exactly. stores. Yeah, it's, I just want to make sure. Yeah, very no, we clear got that clear. That. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a very touchy subject, I'm sure, to some stores out there. But anyways, long story short, we'd get these these products and these things like uh, like I said, the the pizza oven was one of the more popular ones, right? Right. And I hide the duck somewhere in Beverly, and it's always someplace that's very obvious. I I know. So you personally going out and hiding the duck? Oh yeah. Oh, this, oh, is, yeah. this is cool. So I take uh, one of the places I hid it was uh, at Pete's Park. Uh, Pete's Park in Beverly is uh, Pete Frades is actually a friend of mine from uh, Beverly. He's uh, got ALS. Yeah. And I've uh, heard of him. He's done some amazing things. I actually have an uncle who. who had ALS, um, ended up passing away. This was in the early, this is 1999, 2000. I so I, yeah, I saw well, m- my mother's brother um, had ALS. And, and I rem- you know, I was younger. I was, in my, I was in my teenage years. And, you know, when you're a boy in your teenage years, you don't really like, you know, my uncle was dying, but it's not like I was like bedside with the guy. Like we, yeah, you he, don't pick it up as yeah, much Yeah, like now. he was my uncle and I cared and it bothered me. But in hindsight, you know, I watched him what happened to him and I was like wow this is just yeah um but n- and and back then nobody knew much about it so yes, it was, it was exactly. more there was more suffering involved yeah. I feel like now people have twisted it on nature they're like you know what fuck you like yeah. I'm gonna make the best of this that dude Pete I've never personally met him but he is the one who's sort of like at the forefront of yeah. of it's saying you know what exciting. I'm I'm do I'm gonna make the best of this and I'm not going down unnoticed. Like oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna make a name. And this kid, he's he's done amazing things. Yeah, absolutely. And Sorry uh, to cut you off. Go that's ahead. okay. We've done a lot of things with his family too. They're they're all great people. But the thing that we did is they they have a park that they dedicated to him, in Beverly. And that's cool. Where is it? I've no, I didn't know that. Where is that? It's uh, in Centerville. Anyways, uh, I hid it at the park and I left and uh, I didn't hide it. I mean, it was I mean. Well, you sight. hide it in plain sight, yeah. Yeah, and I take a picture kind of to show everybody where it is because I can't say it's under a rock somewhere in Beverly because no, no, no one it. knows where that rock is, right? Mm-hmm. So I hit it there and I left, and I, I post a picture usually like an hour or two later. I try to make sure that I'm hitting the right places at the right time. 
because it was a rainy day, and I know no kids were going to be at the park, so I was like, this is perfect. No one's going to take the duck before. Yeah, you got to worry about someone taking the duck. Well, that's why we put in a closed. Well, we'll get there in a second. <laughs> so, hey, really quickly, has anyone held the duck hostage? Uh, somebody held the duck for about four hours one day, and I got threatening phone calls all day long because <laughs> of it. And I was like, guys, I don't have it. It's not. I didn't. I didn't take it. It's still there. I don't know. Somebody must have it. I don't know. Yeah. But anyways, the, Sorry, go ahead. what happens is these. I, I put it online. First person to find the duck brings it in, wins this this prize, this pizza oven. And sure enough, two hours later, somebody comes in, walks in with the duck, and they're they're so happy. They're so happy. It's the funniest thing, right? Or not the funniest in, in a in a laugh at way. It's funny, like to me, it's like exciting. Right, I, right. I just right. like yeah. seeing it, right? So now, uh, fast forward now to I don't know three or four months after that that day, I was at a restaurant with my wife, and we're sitting at the bar, and I recognize these customers who I hadn't seen in a while uh, outside of the store, and they came up to me. And they're like, "Dude, that duck thing you guys hit at Pete's Park, you don't know what happened that day." I go, "What do you mean?" He goes, "Well, we pulled up." Ten other cars pulled up behind us. We all looked at each other like, you got it. No, you got it. No, you got it. And then somebody else literally peels out saying, I got the duck. I got the duck. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it became like, I got kind of nervous about it because I'm like, no, now there's, now if ten people show there's up. There's duck hunters there's out there. Well, I don't want to fight. But, oh, I don't, yeah. I mean, not me fight. I don't want these people to fight right. over a duck. It's not, it's no. not worth dying over. <laughs> 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 but it's exciting to see these people that, uh, not these people, it's exciting to have uh, my customers be, be on board with this kind of a fun thing, yeah. and I mean, I haven't done it in a few a few weeks now because I, I don't know. Sometimes you gotta pace things out. If you do things every day, it's kind of loses yeah. Its I, I agree, and, and you know your customers, and you know when they want it and when they don't want it, and yeah. you're and it's wise of you to sort of be cognizant of that because it, you know it pays dividends because uh, people don't want it to be played out either. They yeah. want to be involved in it, but they want it you know in trickles. Yeah. Um, but it's so cool to see you taking a liquor store of all things and turning it into like a community. Community-driven, experience-driven, small business that's using that as a way to to like spread some love, liquor style, yeah. right? Like, and it's and it's really cool. I, I, I'm so happy you came on the podcast today because who would have ever thought that you could find a story like that just in a, in a liquor store in North <laughs> Beverly? Seriously, you drive by and, yeah. and and you know the sign looks. I love the font on the sign. It's something I always thought was remarkable. Thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, uh, the store is beautiful. I, I've been many times. Um, but when you drive by, it doesn't have like, you know, it's not like, whoa, look at me. It's not a purple cow per, per se. No. But the experience itself is unique, and it's at the forefront of what should be coming and will be coming, and I have to congratulate you for that. Thank you. Um, so cool to have you on the show. Promise me you'll come back for the new, for the new Hustle Project podcast oh, we're yeah. working on. Oh, there's a new one? I can't tell you much about it, but there's something coming. All right. All right. All right. You're in. All right. Thanks for coming down, man. Of course. Thank you very much. 